This is the word of the Lord from Genesis 45, 4 through 8. So Joseph said to his brothers, come near to me, please. And they came near. And he said, I am your brother Joseph, whom you sold into Egypt. And now do not be distressed or angry with yourselves because you sold me here. For God sent me before you to preserve life. For the famine has been in the land these two years, and there are yet five years in which there will be neither plowing nor harvest. And God sent me before you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to keep alive for you many survivors. So it was not you who sent me here, but God. He has made me a father to Pharaoh and Lord of all his house and ruler over all the land of Egypt. Amen. Thanks, Bonnie. Good morning, church. Hi, my name's Steve. I'm one of the pastors here. If we haven't met, grab me after the service and we can chit-chat for a few minutes. Hey, I see Paula's here. You guys are like, what? Pastor Aaron's parents are in the crowd, so straighten up, everybody. (laughs) I'm just teasing. (laughs) Text it right now. Tell him. He's still talking about me. Okay. I'm sorry. I got distracted. Can we get back together? Focus in? That'll be nice. (sighs) Okay. We're going to talk about Joseph this morning, and we're going to talk about Jesus. And the whole sermon series that we're entering into now is about seeing Jesus in the Old Testament. And Rabbi Matt last week, uh, for those of you that were here, reminded us that the Bible is one book. It's one story. And we divide it up. We've divided it into the Old Testament and the New Testament. We've divided it into books and chapters and verses. And all of that makes it very easy for us to study. But um, I used to have a study Bible um, boy, a long time ago um, by a guy named Schofield. And in this study Bible, they had an outline in the center of it. And the outline would break verses up uh, based on this guy's outline. And so uh, as I was studying the Bible, I studied it based on his outline. And then later I got myself a Bible that didn't have all of that stuff in it. And the verses were just like one on top of each other. And I realized that in all of those study stuff that's in the middle of all of that, that he had separated a couple of verses that were connected. Like integrally, that's a word, you go with it. They were connected type. And so it, it, that's when I was like, whoa, this is, these, all of this stuff that we do that helps us study is great. But it also can cause us to stop seeing things and stop looking at it correctly. One big book, one big story. To realize that Jesus coming to this earth and dying on the cross was plan A, not plan B or plan C. Uh, the, the sin that was in the garden did not sneak up on God. He knew that all of that was going to happen and he had prepared for it from the very beginning. Before he ever spoke anything into existence, he knew that all of this was going to happen. A lot of the songs that we sang this morning and my focus for you today, even though we're gonna talk about Jesus and the life of Joseph, I'm gonna bring us back to the main thing, which is what I love about this graphic that um, uh, has been made for us is... It's seeing Jesus in the Old Testament. But the main thing on that graphic is seeing Jesus. 
And that's what we're all about, is seeing Jesus. We come together in this place and sing his songs and open his word and study it and uh, talk to each other and commune and fellowship with each other and tell other people about Jesus because it's all about Jesus. It's not about us. It's not about me. It's not about you. It's not about this church or that church or those people or that group. It's about Jesus and what he did and who he is. And that's what we're going to spend some time talking about this morning. Let's pray together and then we'll dive in. Father, I thank you for this opportunity that we have to come together and to worship you, to sing your praises. Now, Lord, as we open your word and study it, Father, we just pray that you would quiet our hearts and our minds, help us to focus our attention on you. We say these things in Jesus' name, amen. So in the Old Testament, uh, Tim Keller says uh, that if you look at all of the great patriarchs of the Old Testament, you'll be able to see Jesus in those characters and uh, those, those folks. And so as you go back and you look at those things, there's some people that are, it's kind of hard to find Jesus in those people. Like take Samson, for instance. It's kind of difficult to track him down, Jesus in Samson. He's in there, but it's more complicated to find him. Then there's other ones where you can see it like right off the bat. Uh, I think of guys like uh, Boaz from the book of Ruth, the kinsman redeemer who steps in and and saves uh, Ruth uh, and her life. Uh, David, the king, a man after God's own heart. Moses, the deliverer. Joshua, the conquering warrior who takes them across the Jordan River and into the promised land. You can see those are easy to find Jesus. Another one that's easy to see Jesus in, and it's actually very deep and very profound, and we are going to skim the surface as we go through this, because the story of Joseph goes from chapter 37 in the book of Genesis to chapter 50. That's a lot of material. There's a lot of stuff. It's really deep and heavy. I'm going to skim the surface on that. We're going to talk about some stuff. Along the way, I'm going to tell some silly stories, and hopefully you uh, laugh, and hopefully that helps you connect with some of these things. But ultimately, what I want you to understand is that even as we're looking at Joseph and even as we look through the Old Testament, look through the New Testament, what I want you to continually never forget is that this is all about Jesus. It's all about Jesus. So let's talk a little bit about the life of Joseph. And we're going to see some parallels. And I'm going to take you through a couple of things, seven of them to be exact. Uh, And we'll talk about some of the connecting points and some of the different things as we go along. So let's look at the first one. Joseph was sent to check on his brothers by Jacob. God was sent, uh, Jesus was sent by God to do his will. And so the first thing that we can see about the two is that they were both sent by their father. Now, Joseph, remember, he's sent to, to go check on his brothers, and he goes to find them where they normally are, and they're not where they're normally at. And so he asks some people, and they say, oh, yeah, they're not here. They're over at this place. And then he goes over there. And, of course, uh, as we'll dig a little deeper, as he's walking to that place and walking over there to find them, they see him. And, of course, then they start plotting because they don't like him. Because like all little brothers, any little brothers in the room? Okay, there's three of us, four of us. That's it? All the rest of you guys are older brothers? Man. Well, you're not going to get this at all. We're younger brothers. We're going to get it. There's something about older brothers and how they have the ability to, like, pick on us and, and do the things that they do. And every once in a while, 
we get that moment where we get to show them what's up, it very rarely does it actually happen. You know, and most of the time they just lock you in the closet and, you know, all the things that they do. Uh, maybe that didn't happen to you. Maybe that was just me. So Joseph here, uh, when we look back at his life, remember he was the dreamer, right? And he had those dreams. He had those dreams that uh, his brothers were going to bow down to him someday. And like all good little brothers, he wanted to make sure that every one of them heard it and heard it loud and clear. You guys are going to bow down to me. And so they built up resentment in them towards him because they didn't want to bow down to him. An interesting little side note about that is he also had a dream that included his parents. And in the dream, they were represented by the sun and the moon, and they also bowed down to him. And an interesting correlation between that is uh, that uh, the sun and the moon, like the literal sun and the literal moon, when God comes back and takes over and all of that, not only will they bow down, but they will go away because he is the light thereof. And so even in that dream, we see the image of Jesus who sits on the throne, the lamb that was slain, that is in charge of everything. You see? So Joseph, I mean, Jacob sent Joseph to check on his brothers. God also sent Jesus to do his will. That verse there, John chapter 20, verse 21, is after Jesus' resurrection. And he meets the apostles and he says, even as God has sent me, so send I you. And you see how this continues, this the Father is sending, and how this continues. Not only did Joseph go, not only did Jesus go, but now Jesus is sending us to tell others about his story. He was sent by his Father. Secondly, he was rejected by his own people. Rejected by his own people. Joseph's brothers, they wanted to kill him. This is a pretty radical story. I mean, I got locked in a closet a couple of times. But I I don't think that my brothers ever wanted to kill me. Maybe, maybe they did, I don't know. But these, these Joseph's brothers, they wanted to kill him. That's how much resentment had built up in them against him. They wanted to kill him. And so they absolutely rejected him. And of course, the, the, end, of the, the end of this, it, Reuben steps in and there's lots of conversations back and forth. It'll kill our dad, you know, to know that his favorite son is dead and all of these things back and forth. And what they end up doing is they end up putting him in a pit for a hot minute and then they sell him to people into slavery as they're heading down to Egypt. That's kind of how this ends. There's some interesting correlations here though, but remember they take his coat, the coat of many colors, um, and they kill a lamb and they sprinkle the coat with the lamb, the blood of the lamb and then take it back to the father to show him that uh, the son had died. See all these little correlations, these little tiny details that kind of point us towards Jesus and what he did for us. The Jewish leaders also wanted to kill Jesus. They were uh, caught in a in a, between a rock and a hard place from their point of view. If they said, you know, this guy is not from God, then the people would revolt because he had done such great works. And if they said this guy was from God, they would lose all their power and then they wouldn't know what to do. So the only thing they could figure out to do was they had to kill him. They had to kill him. And so he was rejected, rejected by his own people. It's important that we understand this because as Jesus is sent by the Father, 
to do his will, and then he is rejected by his own people, it is this rejection by his own people that allows us to exist in what I call Willy Wonka theology. Do you guys know what Willy Wonka theology is? So in the best film adaptation of Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, Gene Wilder looks to the boy that's playing Charlie and he says, you're just lucky to be here. And when you think about what God could do, what God didn't do, and what God did do, we are so fortunate that his grace abounds. Because, you know, have you ever thought about it? God could have easily, as soon as Adam and Eve messed up, God could have easily just gone, eh, let's reboot this whole thing and start again. Couldn't he have done that? If you say he couldn't have done that, then you don't know how powerful he is. He can do whatever he wants. Yeah, he can do whatever he wants. But he didn't do that. He chose to allow this all to play out. He chose to allow you to be the numbskull that you are. Amen. He allowed me to be the numbskull that I am, right? Pete played my theme song today. By grace alone, head full of rocks, heart full of stone. That's me. It's you too. You just don't realize it yet, maybe. All right. He was rejected by his own people. And because he was rejected by his own people, we get to be involved in all of this as well. Thirdly, he was betrayed and sold. Here's an interesting little tidbit. Joseph was sold for 20 pieces of silver. Jesus was betrayed for 30 pieces of silver. It's an interesting correlation that they're silver and how that's all done and how that takes place and how that betrayal and that price even sets the stage for what's able to take place. If Joseph isn't sold into slavery, Joseph doesn't go work for Potiphar, doesn't get to go to prison, doesn't do all the things that he does, and he doesn't end up where the verse that was read, that Bonnie read for us, where he reveals himself to his brothers and says, hey, it's okay, I'm your brother Joseph, and I'm in charge of the whole place, and I can make sure that you're okay, and that dad's okay, and everybody's okay, and I'm even going to save the whole world, right? And then Judas... Uh, he betrays the Lord, and everybody's like, oh, Judas, you betrayed the Lord, and uh, it's bad. Jesus said it would be better for him, and he'd never been born. But the reality of it is, is that if he doesn't do what he does, and he doesn't sell, uh, he doesn't betray Jesus and accept that 30 pieces of silver, again, we're not here. Do you see? And so it's all of these things that God uses to bring about his ultimate goal and his Work. So we can look at these things about being betrayed and sold and we can say how terrible and how horrible. And yes, it is. But without it, it doesn't, the system doesn't go into place. In other words, God's plan doesn't fall into place. He's doing all of this. He's working all of this out. He's the one that's making all of these things happen and fall into place. Number four. Joseph and Jesus both faith, faced temptation and resisted. Now in Joseph's life, we have this really cool story about how the fact that he is, he's sold into slavery and he ends up working or being owned uh, by this guy named Potiphar. 
Now, Potiphar recognizes the wisdom of Joseph and his ability to uh, handle affairs and so forth. He's a very organized guy, probably like a five on the Enneagram scale. I don't know. I just made that up. I don't know anything about the Enneagram scale. Is a five a thing? It is a thing. Okay. Potiphar puts him in charge of his whole house. He's in charge of everything except for one thing. There's one thing that he doesn't have any control over. Potiphar's wife. Everything else is Joseph's to do whatever he pleases to make sure that all of the stuff is good. Potiphar's wife is Potiphar's business. Potiphar's wife, however, um, she uh, fancies Joseph. And at one moment, she decides to, um, you know, proposition Joseph. And he says, along the lines of, you know, your husband has given me authority over absolutely everything, but not you. And so I'm not going to mess with that, and I'm out of here, right? And he runs out of his coat and hits the road. I love that imagery. I, you guys, do you guys picture things in the Bible when you're reading it? Like, can you see him, like, ah, like diving out of the coat and, like, running out in the house? No! You know, that's the way I picture it happening. Now, maybe it didn't happen that way, but that's the way it happened in my mind. And so when we get to heaven, you can talk to, about Joseph, talk to Joseph about that and see if that's how it worked out. In all of that, though, he separated himself from that temptation. He overcame it. Jesus uh, it goes into the wilderness and is tempted by Lucifer uh, or by Satan. And in that temptation, he's tempted in the way that we are all tempted with the three sins. You know, there's only three sins. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. Everything that you do fits into one of those three categories. Jesus is um, uh, tempted by those three, and he overcomes all of those three by the power of the word of God, right? And so those temptations are resisted. That makes Jesus, that shows us that Jesus is sinless and makes him eligible for us as a sacrifice, because he accommodates that. You go back to Rabbi Matt's sermon on sacrifices from last week. I don't know what number I'm on. Five. Thanks. Falsely accused in sentence. I got lost there last time too, didn't I? Falsely accused in sentence. Both of them were falsely accused and falsely sentenced. Uh, Joseph, uh, again, because of, uh, he runs out of the room, right? Leaves his coat. Potiphar's wife then goes to Potiphar and says, that guy that you brought into the house, that servant, he tried to um, have his way with me and I, I fought him off and screamed and yelled and he left his coat. See, here's the evidence. And Joseph goes to jail. Now here's an interesting correlation about Joseph and Jesus. Joseph goes to jail and in the prison, he's there with, I, I said this wrong last time. It's not the butcher, the baker, and the candlestick maker. It's a, it's a baker and the guy that drinks from the cup. That's the guy. He's in prison with two guys. One of those two guys lives and gets reinstated. One of those guys dies. Jesus is hung on the cross, and we're told that there are uh, two guys on either side of him. One of them gets to go to heaven and live forever, and one of them dies and doesn't live forever. Do you see the correlation between the two? So Joseph gets thrown into prison. Of course, we know during this time, those two guys have dreams, and he interprets the dreams for them. And he asks the, the, uh, the guy that drinks from his cup, the king's cup, he says, when you go up there, just don't forget about me. 
And then the guy goes up there, and what does he do? He forgets about him, right? Until Pharaoh has a dream. And when Pharaoh has a dream, then all of a sudden he remembers Joseph, and the guy tells the Pharaoh, hey, there's a guy that's in prison right now that can interpret this dream for you. He's that smart. And then Joseph gets to come out, and then we go into the rest of the story. What you need to see about this, though, is that Jesus also innocent and then crucified. As a matter of fact, Pontius Pilate, if you read through the the Gospel of John and his description of um, the events leading up to the crucifixion, uh, Jesus, Pontius Pilate is is struggling with trying to understand why, why why are you even here? What is the problem? If they have rules and regulations that have to do with their God, I don't care anything about them. Why don't they just take care of it? He's struggling with that whole thing. He comes to a point where he asks a really powerful and important question that's even powerful and important for us to understand. Pilate asks this question. What is truth? It's a question that gets asked all the time in our society. What is truth? Your truth, my truth, his truth, their truth. Everybody's got their own truth. But what is truth? What Pilate didn't understand, what we don't understand today, is truth was standing right in front of him. Jesus is truth. As a matter of fact, he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no man comes to the Father but by me. You see, it's all about Jesus. And so in his innocence... The Bible tells us that he became sin for us and shed his blood on the cross so that we might be saved. I think I'm at six. Both of these guys, Jesus and Joseph, rose to prominence and power. Joseph rose to command all of Egypt. When he comes out of that prison, he interprets these dreams for Pharaoh. Pharaoh's had two dreams. They're the same dream. They just have different metaphors. That there's going to be seven years of prosperity um, agriculturally. And then there's going to be seven years of famine. And he doesn't understand the dream. And Joseph comes and interprets the dream for him. And then he understands the dream. And he says, what are we going to do? And nobody knows what to do. And Joseph says, well, what we do is we gather some, uh, a portion of the crop the entire time we have the seven years when it's plentiful. We store that up. And then the seven years where there's famine, we'll have enough to not only feed ourselves, but everybody around us. And Pharaoh says, good idea. Why don't you do it? How many of you remember Y2K? Raise your hand. I want to see it. How many of you have no idea what Y2K is? Raise your hand. Oh, there's a couple. Y2K is a cool little uh, whatever that is. It means the year 2000. Right? Now, every, if you remember that time, you'll remember that when uh, we all thought that the whole world was going to come to a stop. Like planes were going to come to a screeching halt in the middle of the air. Like, whoop! Bam! And just hit the ground. Everybody was going to die. Power was going to shut down. It was the apocalypse was going to happen. And it was all because the dates were bad in computers, right? And now everything's run by computers, and so everything's going to go out the window. So the reason I mention that to you now is because during that time frame, there was this program that was started by some group, some organization somewhere. You could probably look it up online. Uh, I haven't looked at it in uh, 21 years, but um, uh, or 22 but it was called the Joseph Project. 
And the idea was to get all of the churches to gather up all of this material goods, water and food and all of these things, and like keep them at the church. And then when all the planes fell out of the sky and the computers shut down and the robots took over and all of the stuff was going to happen, then the churches would be there to provide for the people, just like Joseph was there to provide for the people. Now, it's a great, um, cool little uh, deal that somebody was thinking really long and hard about. But as you know, as you are well aware, the apocalypse did not take place. Well, maybe it did. I'm not sure. The planes didn't fall from the sky and everything worked. Here's a funny story about that and then I'll get back into things. I was watching the ball drop uh, in 99 going into 2000, right? And at, the, at midnight, that's when everything was supposed to go south. So whatever television station I was writing, the ball was dropping and they were gonna, they were gonna do something really clever and smart. They had a guy that was gonna go like in Times Square, was gonna go to a cash machine and at, right after midnight, he was gonna pull cash from the cash machine. So that way it would show all of us that the computers are fine, the robots haven't taken over, we're all okay. This guy's gonna pull cash out. He goes to the cash machine and he, it doesn't work. Boom, cut to the band real quick, right? Because the, the cash machine didn't work. But we all survived and we all lived. The point of all of that is, uh, is that there was some thought process about this because that's how, Jesus, that's how Joseph came to prominence is because he saw a need and he met the need and it was through that that he became basically in charge of all of Egypt. The, uh, Pharaoh said the same thing that Potiphar said. All of this is yours. Nothing happens without your order. You do it. You got it. You're the man. Notice that Jesus, after his uh, uh, death, burial, and then resurrection, he rose to be the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And we're going to pause for a moment here in just a moment, and I'm going to read something for you from the scriptures, uh, because remember, this is all about Jesus. And when we think about Jesus, we think about Jesus in all kinds of ways. We think about baby Jesus, and we think about, uh, you know, Jesus as a carpenter, and we think about Jesus as uh, the person who allowed all the little children to come to him, and we think about Jesus in all of these different contexts, and a lot of times we forget to think about the fact that Jesus is King of kings and Lord of lords. He is the great I am, the Alpha and the Omega, and he sits on the throne of God, and we are worshiping him in his greatness. Because it's all about Jesus, it's not about us. Finally, number seven. God's purpose in Joseph becoming in charge of Egypt and Jesus coming to die on the cross was to save many. Joseph saved Egypt and his family from famine. We read that. His family had come down into Egypt to get food because they heard that in Egypt there was a guy down there that was handing out groceries. They went down to get them. And when they got down there, there was all kinds of uh, family drama that happened back and forth. But ultimately, Joseph comes out and says, hey, it's me, your little brother. And you sold me into slavery and you meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. Because I'm here now and I'm doing this. And because I did this, God saw fit to make sure that not only were these people in Egypt saved, but you were saved and a remnant was saved and all of these people were saved. And when Jesus comes and he goes through all of the things that he went through and the death his burial, his resurrection, all of those things, it's so that he can save those who would believe in him. Romans ten thirteen, which is the verse that's there, says, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And he did so, all of the work that he did, specifically the work of, of, uh, on the cross, 
was so that some might be saved, that many might be saved. Now, one of the interesting things, uh, and this was actually pointed out to me between services, so this, the nine o'clock didn't get this. This is free for you. Joseph could have not forgiven his brothers and been vindictive and harmed them. It was in his right and power to do so. Jesus also could have been vindictive and not forgiven us and not done those things. It was in his power to do so. Both Jesus and Joseph saw that God and his plan were bigger than wherever they were at personally. And so they forgave our foolishness. Jesus forgave our stupidity. Now, when we think about Jesus, and this is where I'm, I'm going to drive this home for you. Here's the big picture. All of the stuff that we said today, all of the interactions between Joseph and Jesus, and those are all very interesting. And we're looking to the Old Testament people to find how Jesus was the, the plan A from the beginning all the way to the end. This is the main thing. Here's the big picture. This is what the Bible says. Worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. You see, it's not about us. We're just lucky to be here. It's all about Jesus. Now, I'm going to read to you a chapter of the Bible. And it's a very powerful image that comes from uh, the future. And Jesus is on the throne and the elders and the angels are around and they're looking for someone who is worthy to open the scrolls to carry out the work of God. Here's what the Bible says. Then I saw in the right hand of him who was seated on the throne a scroll written within and on the back sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming with a loud voice, who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seals? And no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to even look at it. And I began to weep loudly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or to look into it. And one of the elders said to me, weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. And between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders, I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain with seven horns and with seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. And he went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who seated on the throne. And when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb, each holding a harp, a golden bowl full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song saying, worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals for you were slain and by your blood, you ransomed people for God and every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God and they shall reign on the earth. Then I looked and I heard around the throne and the living creatures and the elders the voice of many angels, numbering myriads and myriads and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, voice, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them saying, To him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, Amen. 
and the elders fell down and worshipped. I want you to understand that this same Jesus, as those angels told the apostles that you see ascending into heaven, will come again and receive you unto himself. This same Jesus that took on flesh and dwelt among us, this same Jesus that hung on the cross, this same Jesus is going to come and he's going to receive us unto himself, this same Jesus is going to open these scrolls because he is the lamb that was slain and he is worthy to do so and we are going to sing his praises and fall down at his feet and we are going to worship him. And I'm telling you today, don't wait until that moment to stand up or to bow down and to worship him. I'm telling you that today is the day We came together this morning and we sang songs together and I hope that for you it was more than just the prelude to the message, which is the prelude to the game this afternoon because all of this doesn't have anything to do with anything except for one thing and that's Jesus, the lamb that was slain. And if we lose sight of that and if we lose focus of that, We've lost all of it because if it's not for Jesus, this group that's meeting in this room right now is a country club that connects our businesses together. But it's not that because it's all about Jesus. From the mouth of babes comes praise and worship. It's all about Jesus. It's all about Jesus. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for sending your son to die on the cross for us. We are not worthy of the gift that you gave us. And we continually mess up and sin and walk away from you and try to do our own thing and put ourselves in your position and put other people's in your position. But you continuously pour out your grace on us. And for that, we are so, so thankful. Father, we pray that as we have conclude this time when we're studying your word, that as a result of us being here together, that we would be drawn closer to you and made more like you. And Father, we ask these things in the name that's above every name, your Son and our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.